Thank you. Do t- can you take this? Or just, I'll put it there. Eh, good morning. It is so lovely to be here under this tree. That is the truth, that it is very lovely to be here. I'm so sorry if you're looking at me through a pole um, or through some other strange shape, but um, it's really good to see you. So as Troy said, we're thinking about um, truths and truths that shape us. And I think that truths are a little bit like glasses. I was checking out... Oh, I'm so out of breath. <laughs> I'm so unfit. I was checking out my glasses collection um, at home. And I have so many glasses um, in our home. We have glasses to help me read. Um, I'm wearing those more and more as time goes by. I have glasses that I wear in the car to drive. I haven't worn those for years. I actually even found them and went, do I really own those? But I do. I did. Um, Sunglasses, of course. We have um, glasses if we go to uh, 3D cinemas. Do they still do these? I don't know. We kept some. 3D cinemas, you know, when you see and everybody goes 3D. You're already 3D, so that's fine. Um, More sunglasses. And glasses that seem to have absolutely no purpose whatsoever. (laughs) I don't know why we have these. It must have been for a special look. But when we wear glasses, they shape the way that we see the world around us, don't they? And I think that is exactly the same with truths, that truths shape the way we see the world around us. They shape the way we see the world. They shape the way that we see people. Um, They shape the way that we see ourselves um, and everything around us. And as we believe different truths. They shape us too. So they shape what we see and they shape us. So for example, it may be that I decide that a truth for me, a way that I'm going to see the world is that I will be happy if I have lots of money. And so that shapes what I do. It shapes the types of jobs that I might go for. It might shape how hard um, I work to be able to get there. It might shape the way I treat people. If I want to be happy, I might be prepared to climb over people a little bit if I think that I need to make money um, to be happy. It may be another truth that I have is that I am one of the best swimmers um, in the world and I could make it to the Olympics uh, representing the United Kingdom proudly. Um, and therefore, that's I don't, I can hardly swim at all. I was going to have lessons with Braun actually. But, um, but if I really believed that, that would shape who I was. I might become a morning person and get up early and go swimming. I might... Um, be prepared to walk all over other competition to get there. I might not. I might still be very nice to competition, but I would focus on what I was going to eat. I would focus um, on the exercise that I took, all making sure um, that, because if I think the truth is I'm going to get to the Olympics to swim, then that is going to impact me. It may be that a truth that you have is that people generally are kind. That might be a truth that you believe. You're pretty fortunate to generally to believe that truth because people probably have been kind to you. But if you believe that people are kind, it will shape the way you are. It will shape your expectations when you meet people. It might shape the way that you expect to be inter, um, them to interact with you as well. All these different truths that we believe shape us, shape who we are. And as Troy said, we're going to have a fantastic couple of weeks coming, hearing from all sorts of different people here at New Community about truths that they have believed and they believe at the moment that have shaped who they are, truths particularly about who God is.
Jesus before he started his ministry time. So the time when he was healing and speaking and um, going about with his disciples, just at the very start of that, he was baptized. And um, many of us know that story. We might not all, but, and it says that he goes to the Jordan River and John is there. And John, who was prepared the way for Jesus, is baptizing people. And Jesus chooses to be baptized too. And it says that as Jesus, um, he goes down into the river and he's baptized. So he's plunged under the water. And as he comes back up, um, we read this. All at once, as he came up out of the water, suddenly the heavens were opened and he saw God's spirit coming down like a dove and landing on him. Then there came a voice out of the heavens. This is my son, my beloved one, said the voice. I am delighted with him. I think that Jesus in his divineness and his fully godness knew that. I wonder whether Jesus, in his fully humanness, needed to know that again and be reminded of that. Because straight after that, Jesus goes out into the wilderness. And we have 40 days and 40 nights where Jesus faces radical, extreme, really tough things. No food and water, so extreme hunger and extreme thirst. We read that he encounters wild animals out there. And of course, he meets the evil one himself um, and is tested by him. And through this time, Jesus has just been reminded so he can hold on to this truth that he is God's son, that he is loved so much. He's the beloved And that Jesus, that God is delighted in him too. And so I wonder whether this shapes Jesus in some way. That there's an extra resilience in him maybe. An extra bit of peace. An extra bit of wisdom. An extra bit of knowing his purpose. He's just been reminded of it. So he's holding on to that as he faces all those moments. It was good for Jesus to be reminded of truths. And it's really good for us to learn truths and be reminded of them true, too. So what truth shapes you? If you had to pick one and were invited to come up here to share it, I wonder which one you might pick. Something that you know about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit that makes life better. The truth that I've decided that I'm going to hold on to for 2022 and I'm going to try and bring it to my mind quicker because I know this truth. But whether in different situations I remember it quickly enough is something that I'm going to try and work on and bring it to mind quicker. And the truth is that God chooses to hold me. I'm somebody who um, I love imagery and pictures and a lot of my interacting with God and my understanding of him is sort of through images that I have in my head. And, um, And so when I think about Excuse me. When I think about um, God holding me, I have three different images in my head. One of them, and probably my earliest one, comes from Psalm 63, where he says, I cling to you, your right hand holds me securely. And so in my imaginings, I imagine God's right hand, and it is big. And there I am, curled up in his right hand. And that's a picture that I go to sometimes in my head. And I hold on to that truth that God chooses to hold me. 
A second one comes from where Jesus is looking down at Jerusalem and he grieves for Jerusalem. And he says that um, he uses the imagery of a mother hen and he wants to gather. He wants to gather the people of Jerusalem towards him and to protect them like a mother hen. Uh, mother hens can be ferocious um, and so protective and gathering, um, gathering their chicks around them. And so the idea that God chooses to hold me like a mother hen and tucks me in under his arm and holds me close. And then the third image is the one that comes from the story of the prodigal son. So the prodigal son turns his back on his father and leaves, wishes him dead. And lots happens. And when he comes back, the father runs to him, arms out wide and embraces his son. And so that's the third image that I have in my head of Father God with his arms out and holding me and embracing me. And that's the way I hold on to this truth that Jesus chooses to hold me. And the thing that I find amazing about this truth, there's lots that's amazing about it, but one of the things is that it's God's action first, always. He stretches out his hands to hold me. He opens his arms in embrace to hold me. He stretches out his wing-like arms to tuck me in beside him. It's his action first. And the times in my life that it shapes me, there have been times I've had health issues. And at those times, I can imagine myself being held by God. And when I remember that, it can bring me peace. There are times when I do things that make me nervous. Lots of times when I do things that make me nervous. And in those times, I remember the truth that God holds me. And that might change my perspective. It might bring me some confidence or again, some peace knowing that he holds me. In times when I'm sad or maybe I can't sleep, I'm concerned about something. Again, I imagine myself held in the embrace of God because I know the truth is that God holds me and that can bring comfort and rest. And when I despair at myself, which happens fairly frequently for my anger over things or my apathy, sometimes I know the truth that God holds me. And in those, in that moment, it humbles me completely that God would still choose to hold me despite myself. It grows humility in me and compassion because I understand a bit more of God's compassion. And I choose in those moments that I want to be able to share that compassion with other people, that I want to be able to show people that God chooses to hold you true, you too, because it is the truth that he has for you as well as for me. And so over this month, we're going to be exploring all sorts of different truths. You'll hear some. Um, we'll hear two this morning, two others this morning. But maybe over this time of January, take some time to think, what is the truth that I need to hold on to? Maybe it's a truth you already know. Maybe it's a new truth that God has for you. Because I know that as we hold on to these truths, it makes life better. And so we're going to hear another one right now. And Tim has very kindly agreed to share with us. So thank you, Tim. Good. I'm so glad you have a microphone already. Great. So, Tim, over to you. I'm on. I wonder what you see when you look in the mirror. I see and have many years have seen faults, flaws, 
seeming irrelevant parts of my character and probably things that I think society looks on and says, well, that's not the things that you need to get by in society. And then several years ago, I read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. In the New Testament, Paul wrote some letters to some churches. And in one of those letters, the letter to the church in Ephesus, he says, you are God's workmanship. Now, a really valid translation could be that you are God's artwork. You are God's masterpiece. That truth has been born to me in two kind of stories that I'd like to share with you. About 20 years ago, I had the immense privilege of working at a a school for children that we classified as disabled uh, because they didn't do maths and science and English in the same way as the mainstream schools. And there was one chap there who did jigsaw puzzles in a way that I have never, ever seen. When I do a jigsaw puzzle, I get the box and I tip out the pieces, 100 pieces, 1,000 pieces, 2,000 pieces, whatever. I tip out all the pieces. I turn them all meticulously over so that I can see the pattern and not the blank side of the piece. And then I get all the edge pieces and I build the frame of the puzzle. And then I take the pieces and I put them all kind of in their colour coding in their same spots where they kind of colours the same and then I'll look at the box and I'll look at the piece and I'll meticulously try and say oh that goes there and that's how I do a jigsaw and I imagine there's a few of you that do jigsaws like that as well well this chap thousand piece jigsaw he opened the box tipped the pieces out onto the table, looked at the box for a couple of minutes, studied the box carefully, then put the box aside and left it. Then he picked up each piece. didn't matter if it was turned up the right way or not. He'd turn it over and look at it and then put it down. And he put each piece precisely in the spot that it needed to go till the thousandth piece he put it into the puzzle that is a gift that is a piece of art and the other story that I have is that I have a passion for Van Gogh's paintings now this one's an original so it's worth at the moment about a million dollars so treat it carefully leaving it in the sun it might get a bit bleached Um, but I have a passion for Van Gogh's artwork and particularly uh, I love the colours and I love the way that he uses paint. But there's two things about Van Gogh's artwork that really stand out, I think. One is that he uses, uh, leaves, a better word, he leaves parts of the canvas completely bare with no paint on whatsoever. So in the original, if you ever get to see the original of this one, Uh, It's called First Steps, and I bought this as my first in my collection, uh, multi-million dollar collection. Um, In First Steps, the actual, the sheets um, on the the fence hanging here are 
blank canvas. There's no paint there. Um, and there's other aspects of it. But looking at that, one might say, well, that's a flaw. That's a fault. That's not right. Yet the blank pieces, the blank parts, add to the depth and the complexity of the painting. And the other is that Van Gogh uses layers upon layers of paint. And the first layers are not seen when you get to the extra layers. And they might seem a bit irrelevant. And they're not part of the focus. Yet, without them, the depth of colour and the vibrancy of the colour is lost. So those parts of the, the, the blues and the greens in this, or Van Gogh's more famous yellows, they are richer because of the parts that come that seem maybe irrelevant, but they all add to the vibrancy and the richness of the piece of art. We are God's masterpiece. It doesn't say we are becoming God's masterpiece. It doesn't say we will be God's masterpiece. We were God's masterpiece. It says we are for all time. So no matter what stage of life any of you are at, you are God's masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. And yes, the beautiful thing is that as we go through life, we can see more and more of that masterpiece. This painting I've had for many years now, and I see different things in it all the time. The artwork doesn't finish the moment the brush is put down. During the day, and even just this morning, we've seen that the, the shadow was across the painting and has come back so that we can see the whole painting. Where it is hanging in our house at different times, we will see the light on the baby's face and see the child's expectation and joy. Sometimes the light might be shining like off my watch there onto the father's face and see the expectation and delight. I wonder what ways the light is shining upon your piece of artwork that you are. I encourage you this week, as you look in the mirror, can you boldly say, I am your masterpiece? And also maybe pray, Lord Jesus, give me eyes to see the masterpiece that I am. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. I too have a Van Gogh at home. I didn't bring mine though. It's... I There are many truths that have shaped me over my life and none more so than eight little words from Hebrews 15 verse 5 part B. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
I think um, when it comes to truths that have shaped me, I think that I'm wired. I'm going to move this way because the sun is on my head. <laughs> I think I'm wired for believing things that are not true. I think there's there's something in me that that is wired for believing that perhaps um, I will be left and I will be forsaken. There's something in me that has a deep belief that abandonment um, is is what is coming to me and is the is the truth in my life. And so um, when I heard these eight little words, they didn't just automatically sink in as truth that I should hold on to. Uh, years ago, my brother had made a really poor choice about his life. And uh, when I came home from uni to find him on my doorstep that day, his life was in danger. And I had to make a choice. I had to kind of manhandle him into the passenger seat of my car uh, my little uh, broken down old car that may not always start every time. And I got him into the front seat of the car and I remember getting into the, the driver's seat and I remember gripping that steering wheel and on the way from my house in Rosanna um, to the Austin Hospital, the whole way I remember repeating, God, you said you would never leave me or forsake me. God, you said you would never leave me or forsake me. God, you said you would never leave me or forsake me. And I remember repeating that again and again and again as I took my brother to hospital because in that moment I needed to know that I was not alone in this really desperate moment of my life. And so it was a, it was a truth that I'd been told, but I wasn't really sure if it was the truth for me. And so I kept repeating it and I was almost repeating it as if it was like a, um, like a, like a check that I had, but I wasn't sure God was going to come good on. Um, and so I kept repeating it over and over again, um, because for some reason I had learned it because something in me must have known it had a degree of truth. And so over the years, um, you know, so that situation, God, God was with me. And I did sense his presence through the difficult times of that day. And my brother did end up being okay. But over the weeks that, um, you know, that, that transpired after that event, there was a building sense in me that that thing that I had called out in the car, gripping that steering wheel, God, you said you'd never leave me or forsake me, was actually possibly true because I had experienced a level of God being there with me. And over the years, um, you know, every time I had to do something that was really, really scary, uh, I, I would find myself sitting back into that Bible verse where God said he would not leave me or forsake me. Or when I was in a really difficult space and actually felt quite alone, I would come back to that Bible verse and say, God, did you really mean it when you said that you would never leave me or forsake me? So here's little uh, hot tip for all those kids out there and all those young people and all of the rest of you. This is something that I do in my spare time. When I'm not doing so great, I get a Bible verse and I get my little packet of pastels because they work best. And I write out a Bible verse and then I meditate on it and I think about it and I under underline the words that mean something to me. Um, and then I, I draw around, I circle around words. And, and I might even number them in terms of their importance or count the words that matter or listen for the things that God's saying to me. And, and you know, this is 1 Peter 5. And the God of all grace who called you after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you. And I underline that and I write it over and over again. Oh, that one's been read a lot. 
You know, they that should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. He's actually not far off. And I write, yes, he is actually not far off. And so then as I come back to this one again and again and again and again throughout my life, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I go, leave. You mean you're not going to like nick off and be somewhere else and then come back to me? You're never going to leave? You're actually always going to be here? Yep. And that sinks a little deeper. And then a number of years later, I come back to it and I, I circle the word forsake. And that's, that's deeper. That's different. It's not just that he's going to, not going to come and go in and out of my life. There is never going to be a time when God says, you are not important. You don't matter. I've chosen someone else. He's never going to forsake me. And then, and then I'll underline the word never. And I'll dwell on that because then it will occur to me that actually never means never. And it sits a little more deep in terms of its truth to me. And then one day I underline the word you. And he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And the truth hits home a little bit more deeply. And I have to work out, is it true for everybody and not me? Or is it actually true for me as well? Will he actually never leave me and never forsake me? And it hits a little bit more deeply. And then a number of years ago, I found myself in a place where I actually felt quite forsaken and quite alone. And life was really, really difficult. And I found myself going back and rewriting this verse again. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I got this really strong sense that God leaned in over my shoulder as I was writing it with my pastels and musing around and underlining words. Because kids, when you write these things out and when you, when you think about them and when you underline words and when you trace over the top of words, they sink in really deeply. And you remember them like Ali was saying, you remember them quicker the more you think on them. And so as I sat there musing over never and leave and forsake and you, I got a distinct sense that God leaned in and said, I, underline I, and I had to again deepen the truth that actually God will never leave me or forsake me. The rest of the world might. Everything, you know, the life might be like a soggy cardboard box that you left out in the rain and you pick it up and the bottom drops out. But God will never leave me or forsake me. And that's a truth that has shaped me through my whole life and I expect it will go on shaping me because